Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. What does it take to have Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, move from your head, from my head to my heart? And Jess Ronnie is a great example of that. Jess is the founder and executive director of the Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to providing support for special needs families. She and her husband, Ryan, live here in West Michigan with their eight children, including their son, Lucas, who has profound special needs. Her story of beauty from ashes has been shared on the Today Show, Daily Mail, and Huffington Post, and is in her books, Sunlight Burning at Midnight, and Blended with Grit and Grace. To follow Jess's story, go to JessPlusTheMess.com. All right. Well, we're excited to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. So we just love to, at the beginning of every conversation, just kind of get to know you a little bit by sharing a little bit of your faith journey. Tell us how it is that you really came alive to Jesus and fell in love with him and decided to give your life to him. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, you know, went to church every Sunday and Wednesday night church and we read the Bible for dinner and, you know, it was all the the rhythmic things that you do, you know, yeah. in a conservative Christian family. And I would say that I love Jesus, but it wasn't necessarily this deep relationship with mm-hmm. Jesus until I went to my ultrasound appointment with my second child in 2004 and unexpectedly was told that he had suffered a stroke in utero and there was no hope. And the doctor recommended that we terminate the pregnancy. Um, We decided not to. We were just going to put our faith in the Lord and trust that God's will would be done with this child's life. And Lucas was born on August 12, 2004, but it was during that three or four month period between the 20 week ultrasound appointment and his birth Mm -hmm. that Jesus became extremely real to me. Um, There's something about being told that you're baby is going to die that will humble you very very quickly Mm -hmm. and I just fell to my knees like literally just begging the Lord to save my baby's life and I just remember even during that period and reading my Bible all day long and just claiming verses of faith over my baby's life and even having dreams of Jesus rocking this baby in his arms and even before Lucas was born I remember saying to the Lord I'm going to be so sad when my baby's born because I'm not going to have this time to spend with you anymore because I was going to have this newborn baby and hearing him specifically say, no, that's the time of obedience. And I think that was a pivotal point in my life where he said, no, you're going to be obedient to the calling Mm -hmm. that I'm placing on your life and you're going to raise this baby, whatever that looks like. And that's been sort of this theme now for the past 18 years. I call, you do, (laughs) whatever that looks like. That's walking with Jesus, right? Yep. You know, before you really committed your life to Jesus, how would you say you related with him? It was always more of a fearful way, honestly. I was constantly rededicating my life. I was that kid, like I would do something wrong and then I felt like I was going to go to hell. So I better rededicate my life. So I'd be sitting in my bedroom at night saying the prayer of repentance again and again and again, like 50 times. It was that Mm fear-based model. And after that experience with my son, I think I truly understood how God the Father felt about me Mm -hmm. because I was so willing to do anything 
for my child. And that's when it all came full circle. This is how God, the father, Jesus feels about you. We're willing to do anything for you. And so then it just pivoted. I would say I was a Christian, but an immature one up until that point, just not fully understanding God's love for me and how deep that was. Can I poke into, I know this is super personal, but I would love to talk about the part of your story where you got Lucas's diagnosis and the doctor's medical recommendation was that you terminate his life. Mm -hmm. So what was the process like for you and your husband as you faced that decision and, and the medical doctors are telling you this is, this is the wise choice. It was never a question for us. Um, We were both believers and our faith would not have allowed something like that to happen. Um, We were going to carry that baby, but since, you know, Lucas is now 18 years old and Mm -hmm. we'll unravel that story more, but I've had to wrestle a lot with even these ideas of abortion and termination because I was told to terminate that Mm -hmm. baby. And I, I hear all the arguments. I mean, it's a hot topic right Mm -hmm. now, especially in our nation. And I would just really admonish the church even. I think we're really good at telling women not to terminate. Like we don't believe in abortion. Don't terminate. Don't terminate. Choose life. But then these women like myself, we we are raising complex children who will require total care for the rest of their lives. And the church kind of falls off the wagon at that point. It's like, yay, you chose life. Good for you. You did the right thing. But then there's no support. And we are so desperate for support. I mean, these these kids require a lot. Lucas yeah. will require me 24-7 for the rest of his life unless we find something or create something. <laughs> and that's, you know, more a part of the story as we get further into it. Yeah. But can you tell me more of, a little bit more about what it would look like for the church to come and support you? Because I'm thinking about, you know, I've encountered, we've had people come to church who just want to sit in church for the love, mm-hmm. you know, and just experience a message. But because of their child's needs, it's, it is 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And that means that hour that everybody else is sitting at church and their kid is in the nursery. What are some ways that we can come around families who are raising children with special needs? It can be that simple, offer a special needs ministry. Um, There are like two or three churches in the area. And so those were our choices when we moved here. And we have a wonderful church, absolutely wonderful. But it can be that simple as just offering a special needs ministry and then maybe expanding that a little bit and offering a special needs component on Wednesday night um, so we can include these families. And Mm -hmm. then maybe even VBS. I'm calling out West Michigan here. (laughs) We have all these amazing VBS programs. Yeah but to supply like a special needs version of that in the summertime, because oftentimes these kids have nothing to do Mm -hmm. and their parents, I mean, they can't work. They can't go anywhere because you are caring for your child, which is an honor and a blessing, but we need breaks. Um, And then that's the other biggest component I would say is offering some sort of monthly respite for these families and not like two or three hours, but a nice chunk of time, you know, Mm -hmm. four or five hours. So they can really decompress and, go shopping or go on a date with their spouse or take a nap. You know, it can be that easy. So if there are people right now that are listening and that are going, oh my goodness, yeah, we're missing the mark on this or we feel compelled to be a part of this and to want to offer this, where do we find the resources we need to be able to even get started? Because I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just assuming that there's maybe some special skills that you have to have. 
I know of two um, ministries doing an awesome job at it. 99balloons.org has a whole curriculum that churches can adopt. Okay. And then soreministries.org is another ministry based out of Kansas. And they have amazing curriculum or they can get in touch with me too. I would be happy to let them pick my brain or this is my work. And I, I can offer lots of resources. When Lucas was born, he had special needs. What were his special needs at that point? And then what did it look like going forward to take care of him? When Lucas was born, they just sort of did this umbrella special needs. And honestly, people say, did you grieve when he was born? And I didn't. Like, I had a baby I was going home with. I grieved during the pregnancy because I was told I was not going to go home with a baby. And then I went home with my baby and I didn't care what came along with him. I did not care. He had a two-year-old size head at birth. So they literally had to cut me from one side of my stomach to the other side to get his head out because it was so full of cerebral spinal fluid. He never slept, never slept. (laughs) We finally did a sleep study at three years old. My husband and I just took turns sleeping and watching him at night um, because he just would not sleep. And his head was so big that we were, we had to lay him on his back, even though I know you're not supposed to do that, but if he could somehow turn himself over, he would have suffocated himself to death. So we just sat there watching all night, delayed in every aspect, uh, didn't walk or talk, never really talked until probably nine or 10 years old. We started hearing words. Like today, he's been diagnosed with scoliosis, intellectual disability, autism, hydrocephalus, low muscle tone, limited vision. Looking back, I think we were in complete survival mode. Jason and I, that was my husband, it felt like two ships passing in the night. And then I ended up having another baby in the middle of that when Lucas was around three. And that's when the story got even more intense with Jason's diagnosis. Tell us about Jason's diagnosis. So yeah, in the middle of not sleeping and having another baby, Jason starts having all of these unexpected things going on. Like he's, he can't see and he's becoming disoriented and he's losing tons of weight. And we keep bringing him to the doctor and to specialists. And he's a personal trainer and a tennis professional and he owns a gym and he's diagnosed with type one diabetes at 30 years old. And we're looking at him like, what? This doesn't make sense. He's like the healthiest person you can imagine. And they just keep saying to him, you've got to get your sugar levels under control. And I mean, this is a guy who doesn't eat sugar. And this goes on for months. And we end up going on a date night once with a couple of friends and he becomes so disoriented. He doesn't come back to the table for like 40 minutes and we're trying to find him. And and then one night I had Caleb was my oldest, uh, Lucas and baby Mabel. So Caleb was four or five and Lucas was two or three and Mabel was maybe six months old. And I said to Jason, do you feel okay if I run across town to my dad's house? I just have to pick up something real quick. And he was like, yeah, I feel fine. So, you know, get in my car, run to my dad's house and I pull into the driveway and the phone rings and it's Jason. And he says, Jess, call 911. And the phone went dead. So I run into my dad's, we whip back over to our house, show up with ambulances and cop cars and Jason's being carried out on a stretcher. But before he even passed out, um, he had the sense to put a movie in for Caleb, put Lucas in his exorciser and put Mabel in her bouncy seat. Wow. And then he seized until he passed out. And so that night we ended up in Zealand ER here. And I just remember sitting on the ground, just 
all of these things going through my head. And then this young doctor comes walking out as I'm sitting on the floor next to my sister. And he said, we're going to run an MRI to rule out the possibility of a brain tumor. And it all just clicked. And I was like, that's what it is. It's a brain tumor. Sure enough, they um, ran the MRI, rushed him down to Spectrum, uh, prepped him for immediate surgery and took out a baseball sized brain tumor. Oh, my goodness. Um, They did a biopsy. It was only a grade two at that point. So they said, you guys can just watch and wait if you want. You know, oftentimes these tumors don't come back for 20 years. And we just thought, yeah, I mean, God has tested us enough. We're going to go home and we're going to live life and Mm -hmm. speak it and believe it. And we will not have to deal with this again for 20, 30 years. But that's not exactly how it went. So from the time that he had the surgery, then they say, go home and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we won't see you for 20 years. Were things back to normal then? Yeah, he was like a new person. I mean, so much so that I unexpectedly found myself pregnant again. Uh, we weren't planning on a fourth, but had we like, we talked about it and had we waited for our perfect timing, it would have never happened. But I find myself pregnant again and he had to let go of the gym because he just couldn't manage it when he was having all of those health problems. Mm -hmm. But he was still doing some personal training and some tennis lessons and working at a holistic doctor's office part time. And on his lunch break, he had to have quarterly MRI scans just to determine that the tumor hadn't come back. And I was a couple months pregnant and I got a call at lunchtime. Uh, Jason was extremely irritated just saying, Jess, the tumor's back. I got to check myself into ER immediately. So I have these three kids, six and under, a baby on the way. I'm scrambling to find care for the three kids. You know, most people aren't real comfortable with Lucas because of his special needs. Mm -hmm. And we end up going to the hospital and he has another baseball sized brain tumor, which they remove. And I'm sleeping on the, the couch in the waiting room, big and pregnant. And the doctor, the neurologist calls me and his mom into Jason's room and just kind of dives into the news. He said, we got the report back and I'm sorry to say it's a glioblastoma. And I had done enough research at that time to know that that meant a life expectancy of about 14 months. That's exactly what he made it to was, so that surgery was in the summer of 2009. And then Joshua was born in September of 2009. Jason passed away August 24, 2010, a month before Joshua's first birthday. Yeah, I look back and just think, I don't even know how, I don't know how. I was extremely angry during that period. A lot of screaming and wailing at the Lord, which I think the Lord can handle that. (laughs) But then you need to reallocate and fall on your knees and say, you are God and I am not. Yeah, God can handle your anger. You know, maybe... You've lost somebody and you are just angry and you're grieving and he can handle your honesty, your honest prayers. And Jess Ronnie knows that full well. And she shared her story already in a couple of books, Sunlight Burning at Midnight and Blended with Grit and Grace. She's got a new book coming out as well. But it's interesting, you know, angry with God, but then finally wrestling through to God, your God. And I'm not. But there is that process. You don't just get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's more to Jess's story, believe it or not. She is such 
She's just such a person of hope and we want to get you connected with her, with her, with her books. The newest book you can actually pre-order right now. It's called Lovin' with Grit and Grace. And you can find out all about Jess at www.jessplusthemess.com. So you lose your, your husband, Jason, and on August 24th of 2010, take us from there. I'm grieving, but yet there is sort of this peace because what I've said to people too is brain cancer can be an extremely cruel taskmaster. And that was a part of my life for three years, along with these four children. So yes, there's grief, but towards the end too, there's sort of a distancing and a disconnect that almost happens when your spouse is so ill as you become the caregiver and you're caring. And it's it's almost this grieving process where you begin to accept. And I think I often say too, I had three years to sort of come to grips with the fact that I wasn't sure that I was going to have that 50th anniversary with my husband. So there was a lot of acceptance and grace even in having those three years. But we go to the celebration of life ceremony and his mom, Jason's mom, even pulls me aside and says, with tears in her eyes, I'm praying for your next husband. I know you can't do this on your own and you will need a godly man to come alongside of you. And I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like not Too there, soon. not there. <laughs> but funny thing, she is a woman filled with faith and extremely obedient. And she was right. <laughs> My next husband was right around the corner on Halloween night. I got the kids all dressed up and went out trick-or-treating and posted the pictures on Facebook, you know, to show everybody that I was doing fine. And I come home and there's this message on my blog. I had blogged through the three years just to keep people updated. And it's this woman in Pennsylvania just saying, I have no idea why I'm doing this, but I feel like the Lord has told me to tell you that there's this widower in Oklahoma. He lost his wife four days after Jason died to brain cancer and he has three young children and he's not doing very well. And I just think you could be a source of encouragement to him. So I go and I find his blog and I just leave a little comment like, hey, if you ever want to talk or whatever, you know, I understand what you're going through. And I woke up the next morning to this email from this guy and we started emailing back and forth. And that led to phone calls a few weeks later, which led to a meeting, which <laughs> led to a wedding less than a year <laughs> later. So, wow. Yes. Um, he moved to Michigan with his three kids and we adopted each other's kids. And Wow. Then he looked at me one day shortly after moving to Michigan. He said, I don't really know about the snow here. Um, do you want to go stake out a, a simple life somewhere in the middle of nowhere with all of these kids? And, and that's what we did. We moved to rural Tennessee in 2013 with all of the kids. All of the kids. So seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adopted them all and moved to the middle of nowhere. Which, by the way, the simple life isn't all that simple. <laughs> it's really, really hard. It's not simple with seven no. kids. No, it's sure. not. I don't Nothing think it's simple, simple for anyone. <laughs> Going to Walmart isn't simple right. with seven kids. <laughs> exactly. Your second husband, Ryan, started having health problems. Mm -hmm. Well, in Tennessee, we decided seven children wasn't enough. And we went on to have an eighth child together. Eighth and final. And we're extremely happy we did that. But... She's a lot of work. <laughs> She's the baby of eight. And yeah, we, we lived in extremely 
rural Tennessee, I often say the nearest mall was an hour and a half away. Oh, Walmart was 30 miles away, and that's where we got our groceries. And we lived on 30 acres of land on the Tennessee River and raised chickens and gardens and children. And it was beautiful and life-giving until it wasn't. Um, and I think that pivoted as Lucas aged and began to go through puberty. Mm. And the screaming and aggression just intensified and he was nonverbal and still required total care. And we couldn't find anybody who like wanted to change a 13 year old's diaper. You know, you can find that help even when they're three, four, five. And people are like, eh, it's still a cute little boy. But as they start to go through puberty, nobody wants to help with that. And Ryan ended up in ER twice with panic attacks that resembled heart attacks. And then they wanted to do a PET scan because they were concerned that he might have cancer somewhere. And I just about lost it thinking, Lord, are you serious? You brought us here to the middle of nowhere. Now I have eight children and we're going to do this again. Yeah. And thankfully he was healthy. Um, They were just panic attacks, but it got us thinking when Lucas was born, I had promised Lucas that one day I would start a nonprofit in his honor, but always kind of thought that nonprofit would be to help the children. And as we really struggled as his caregivers, I thought, no, this has to help the caregivers because Mm -hmm. the child is only as healthy as the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So we launched the Lucas Project. I just Googled how to start a a nonprofit. Oh, my goodness. Like filled out all the paperwork (laughs) and sent it in. And we asked the local school district if we could use their building. And they said, sure. And we did everything horribly wrong. I mean, we didn't even have liability insurance or like I get a bright idea and I just jump. It blessed a bunch of people. and then. We kind of looked at each other about seven years in, Ryan and I, and we were like, we don't have to stay here. Like we, we thought we would live and die at this house with this life. And it was so beautiful and it just got so hard Mm. and there was nothing for Luke. Um, And so we moved towards Nashville and that's where we spent the pandemic was in Nashville. Um, we considered even moving back to Michigan, but we really liked the warmer weather for Luke. I hear you. I'm from Southern California. <laughs> okay. So I okay. Get that. Yeah. Yes. I've discovered that Tennessee is not a good state in terms of resources for okay. disabled children. There's nothing. So it wasn't even like our rural community. It was Tennessee in general. And I know this is kind of controversial even to say, but, you know, it's a red conservative state. And again, it's it goes back to as a conservative, I almost felt like I couldn't stay in a state that valued so many of the same things that I valued because there were no resources or support Hmm. in that environment. So we did come back to Michigan and we've had so many resources and support here. And in addition to our friends and family who've been so willing to help. And so it's been a really good move in spite of the snow. Tell me more about the Lucas Project and what you guys do. We serve special needs families with recognition and respite. Um, And part of the recognition part is we created a documentary called Unseen, How We're Failing Parent Caregivers and Why It Matters. Um, It's already won a ton of awards. Um, We're going to do an in-person screening in the Grand Haven area coming up in the next couple of months. But it just gives a very vulnerable look, not even so much for the caregivers who have all like said, thank you so much. I saw myself in this Mm -hmm. film, but it's for society in general Mm -hmm. to say, recognize these families within your community because so often we're isolated because the world isn't made for us. Mm -hmm. It's not accessible and it's hard to get our kids out and change is hard for our kids. And so you just don't see these families. You don't really see them in the community. You don't see them at 
church because it's easier to stay home. Mm. And so bringing that world to the world and saying these families exist and Mm -hmm. we really need to step it up. There are 16.8 million families caring for a disabled child in America alone. So it's not a small problem. Right, right. But there are small resources. I'm glad to hear that that you found so much more of what you need here in West Michigan. That's a great thing. We did. Like lots of respite, lots of help like that the state provides, you know, dollars for and just even this Ottawa County is so philanthropic. Um, There are so many nonprofits that serve this population, and that's been a huge blessing, too. Talk to the person listening right now who has special needs kids, and they're overwhelmed, and they're discouraged. Maybe they feel like giving up. Oh, goodness. I would say, first, I see you. I know it's so hard to feel like anybody understands And secondly, I would say find some community somehow. And I would say social media is not true community. I think as special needs parents, we often kind of hide behind all of our little support groups on Facebook. And that's great. I mean, it's an element of community, but it's not true community. And additionally, people can't help if they don't know. And I know we often won't share about the hardships because we don't want to burden people, but people are truly good most of the time at their core and they want to help, but they can't help if they don't know. Mm -hmm. So you have to start sharing about your needs. And when people are like, how are you doing? You can't be like, oh, I'm fine. Or, you know, open up and become vulnerable and Mm -hmm. say, gosh, I could really use a break. Is there any way that you could just sit with Johnny for a few hours so I can take a nap or whatever that looks like? try to get plugged into a church. Like, you know, I mentioned earlier, there aren't many options with special needs ministries, but they they are out there. And again, that keyministry.org, they're really good at helping uh, families find a church where they live. And maybe that can be a source of community as well. Jess Ronnie, founder and executive director of the Lucas Project. Yeah, Key Ministry. I'm at that website right now, keyministry.org. When you go there, there's a bunch of titles at the top of the page and go to four families and that opens a box oh an angel got its wings you go to keyministry.org and then over to four families that opens up a box that says find a church and you'll see just a bunch of churches it's really cool a bunch of churches in west michigan that have ministries specifically for special needs families yeah yeah, that makes my heart so happy that that we're doing the work and for all the information and to get your church involved and just to get educated yourself. Yeah. Check it out. The lucasproject.org. Lucasproject.org. And then of course this keyministry.org. And before the break, you were sharing about the first part of what Lucas project project is all about the providing recognition for caregivers. Tell us about the other part. The other component of the Lucas Project is respite. And we recently purchased a housing initiative for our son, Lucas. And it's going to be a house for six disabled individuals. And on this farm, affectionately called Hope Farm, which is in West Olive, there's a big white barn that the Lucas Project is going to convert into a respite center for the community. So we're hoping to begin with monthly respite days. 
um, like that five or six hour chunk of time like we talked about. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we want to expand to after school care for these families. Because again, like something as simple as incontinence will disqualify your child from any after school Mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. And then what that looks like is one of the parents, usually the mom, uh, needs to quit her career and devote her life to full-time caregiving. The third phase, possibly, we'd like to offer a day program for disabled adults in the future. So that's what we have going on. This is amazing. But Jess, you have eight children and you have the Lucas Project and you Mm -hmm. have the Hope Farm. How are you doing it all? That's funny you asked that because as I was driving here. (laughs) And writing a book. As I was driving here, (laughs) my husband and I had the opportunity to go on vacation not like a week ago. We came home last Tuesday and it was wonderful, but now I feel a hundred years behind. And I fell on my face in surrender a couple of days ago saying, Lord, you have called me to do too much in addition to eight kids. Like I, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. And either you're going to have to take some of this stuff off my plate or I'm going to have to walk away or you're going to have to send some help. Yeah. Since that prayer three or four days ago, two people have reached out to me randomly asking me how they can volunteer. And a third person has reached out wondering if she can have do an internship with the Lucas Project. So, well, there you go. So (laughs) I recognize it's too much, but the Lord has provided. Yeah, he has. I'm so glad he has. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. you I'm, I'm so sorry for the hard things that you have been through. I can't even imagine. And so grateful for how God has inspired you to help other people through the hard things that you've been through. So, well, thanks thanks for for having me. Thanks so much for listening questions or comments, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.